Hello. Uh, so this is Graphic Policy Radio. Uh, this is the show for folks who know DC Comics Prez maybe more ahead of its time than we, even we guessed. Uh, news broke today that a candidate named D's Nuts is more than just an insult, but also an independent presidential candidate who is 9% in North Carolina, 8% and 7% in Iowa. Uh, right now we're behind Nuts McGovern's in 2016. Uh, but tonight... We're going to be talking comics, not politics. Uh, we've got a special return guest, four-time champ, Jeremy Whitley. Uh, we'll be on the show, and but before we introduce him, let me welcome my much better half here, my co-host, Alana. What's happening, Alana? Oh, thanks. You know, I was really disappointed about missing the Alice Cooper Motley Crue concert last week, um, but there's a new Alice Cooper comic out today, which is almost like going to an Alice Cooper concert, except completely different. But with the money I saved on the concert, I can totally get tickets to see Black Canary when they come to town. So on balance, it's really hard to make a decision. You know, Alice will always tour again, but Black Canary might not survive this next issue, in which case I'll have made the right choice in spending my money to see her instead. So that's my current concert going plans for the summer. This is very true. Uh, completely aside, I think one of the coolest panels I ever went to at any convention was Alice Cooper at Fa uh, Fan Expo when, like, it was probably a decade ago, maybe 15 years ago, um, where he just, like, talked about his career marketing and all that stuff. I mean, it was, like, a fascinating panel. Um, really odd to be at a comic convention back, well, sort of, but uh, really amazing to, to watch him speak and kind of give his wisdom because he's, like, a marketing genius. Um, oh, yeah. He has, he's had a lot of comics over the years, too, for Marvel in the 70s. I mean, yep. he basically is a, yep. a comics villain. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to be talking a lot of comics tonight. Joining us tonight is uh, Jeremy Whitley, who is actually has two comics out this week. Both of them are beyond awesome and full of kick-assness. Uh, first is his creator-owned series, Princeless Raven, the Pirate Princess. Uh, from Action Lab, it's a spin-out of his fantastic series, Princeless. Um, all of it's a must-read. And then also from Marvel, Secret War, Secret Love, which it sounds like has sold out. So uh, you might have to go digital if you haven't picked it up yet at your local store. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. It's been a fun day. <laughs> I imagine you got to be like on cloud nine with... Uh, such well-received comics, uh, both out on the same day. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, it's still pretty rare for me to have uh, two comics come out uh, in the same month, uh, not to mention <laughs> on the same day. Um, but yeah, it's um, and it's been fantastic between the the, the warm reception that the uh, second issue of, of Raven Fire Princess got and. Um, the overall excitement around Secret Love and, and finding out that it had uh, sold out. So, I mean, only if you have a, a particularly insightful comic shop like uh, like my own uh, Ultimate Comics here in, in Durham still has plenty of copies of, uh, <laughs> of Secret Love. Um, but you know, a lot of those uh, a lot of those stores didn't think that uh, a romance comic set in the Marvel Universe could sell copies. Uh, are kind of eating their words now. That's crazy. Yeah. Don't they know the internet exists? Because the internet <laughs> is utter proof that there is a massive, massive constituency of people who want to read romance stories about superhero characters. Like, 
you have to be pretty ignorant of the internet to not know that. So I applaud I applaud uh, your local comic book store for being smart about it. Um, but I imagine people catch my drift here. Uh, I, Marvel really should have a regular series like this, actually. And I would I would love to read more stuff from you along this note because I have to say, Jeremy, your story in uh, Secret Love, Secret War, Secret Love is like probably the most emotionally adult like thoughtful relationship thing I've read in ages in a comic or in like any other form. Um, I, you had mentioned that it was inspired by your relationship with your wife a bit. Uh, definitely can tell this is a comic by like, you know, a married person like thinking about like what it means to, you know, to be in married life and things like that. And have, and it's just, I don't know. It's, it's really mature and interesting and, and, and emotionally re, uh, resonant. So thank you. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I, I think um, I, I think some of the reason that it, it rings is, is so different to a lot of, of what they do with, um, you know, superhero comics, even with romance and superhero comics when it doesn't exist. It's, it's so much of of that game is kind of caught up in uh, in love triangles and will they, won't they, and all this stuff, and then people get to the, the marriage level and then they reset the entire relationship. So, um, you know, to actually have a, a world where, you know, you've got a couple of heroes who in this case have decided to kind of call it quits hero-wise and settle down and um, have a kid and have, you know, a normal adult life that uh, proves to be, you know, as difficult for them to handle as, as any number of supervillains they bought. Um I think I think rings true to people who who've been through that part of you know adult life already. Well, so, you know, to me, I feel like sorry. No, no, no. I, I go like, go right ahead. I don't know how much how much spoilery stuff can we get into for this because the books only come out today. I I mean I, I don't know I'm uh, I don't know how much there really is to spoil about it. It's I mean it is only eight pages, um, so. You know, and it's not like okay. uh, not like it's continuing <laughs> next month or anything. But it should be. But um, I, I think what I think what was really really important about it to me is I think that I mean my my interpretation of your story is that you know you have these two characters, Misty Knight and Danny Rand, who are totally one of the cutest couples in comics to start with, um, and they're struggling with like you know what is their life, what is their identity now that they're a married couple. And what reminds them of their connection and their passion for each other is they both go and, like, beat up a dinosaur together. So I think that, to me, my interpretation of the story was that it's saying that, like, you need to not lose track of, like, who you were before you were together because those interests and those passion are the things that brought you guys together in the first place and that connect you to each other still, even though you're together. Yeah, I think I think the tendency tends to be, you know, when you're married, it's certainly true for myself that... Um, you know, you start to uh, set up sort of routines and, um, you know, go through day-to-day things and just, you know, in some cases just try to get by. And you, you forget a lot about the, the things that, um, you know, you, you loved about the other person that uh, made you, you know, as, Lucy, as Misty says in the comic, you know, actually say, no, I think I can, I think I could do this for the rest of my life. Um, and that's, you know that that's what I wanted to capture in there, and and that in you know their case it takes, um, you know, uh, a literal dinosaur to you know make them uh, make them remember what it is they 
uh, they care about and that they, they know that they're both there for each other, you know, when, when something the size of a dinosaur happens in their relationship. <laughs> uh, so, um, how did you actually get on the series and like, you know, how did the, the idea of the story come about? Cause I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot that's really familiar, but there's some very, uh, different takes on the characters in the relationships. Um, so how, how I got onto it is, um, I have been over, you know, the last couple of years as I, I do printful stuff, um, sort of sending emails to editors saying, you know, I'd like to work with you. I'd like to work with your company. Um, you know, both Marvel and DC are, are companies that I have, you know, long standing connections with their characters. And, um, I really would love to do some stuff with, with them. Um, and I, I think, in a lot of cases in, in the last couple of years, have been looking for the sort of things that I'm, I'm already doing with Princeless. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I, I just kind of happened to kind of hit the right person at the right time. I you know, emailed Tom Brevoort, and uh, he urged me to you know, send Princeless stuff along to him. Um, he, had, he had seen some of it already, thanks to uh, you know, Kelly Sue and uh, Matt Fraction passing stuff around the Marvel office is the awesome people that they are. Um, and uh, he, you know, he said, yeah, I don't really have anything for you right now, but you know, my editors are always looking for stuff for new projects, so you know, what I'll do is I'll hold on to your stuff, and I'll, I'll keep it where you know, they can basically browse it as they need new people. And uh, it was actually just a couple, couple weeks later that I got an email from uh, Emily Shaw, the editor on Secret Love, um, Asking about you know if I'd if I'd be interested in doing a a romance story set in the Marvel universe, and um, I, I pitched her a couple different stories. Um, you know this was uh, I think this was the first one I pitched her, and uh, and when we found when I found out it was a Secret Wars thing and we could kind of do whatever. Um, you know there were a couple other stories in there, but um, this ended up being the one that. Uh, it really, really stood out. I think largely because of the amount of you know personal it is to me, um, and the the unique sort of uh, perspective on relationships and romance that it has. Um, and you know, we just we started developing that and putting it together, and um, it it came out better than I, I could have hoped for. And they paired me up with a, an amazing artist in you know in Gary Hero. Um, Mm-hmm. So, you know, the moment that, uh, that Emily mentioned to me that, oh, you know, Gurry Hero might be available. Would you be interested in, in doing stuff with Gurry Hero? I was like, oh, yes, please do that. That's, that's what I want. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the artist is you know, and, and everybody's clothing is realistic, which, of course, is like a thing that I care a lot about when I read comics. Um, so, yeah, definitely props to the artist for, like, drawing adults and clothing that adults wear um, and the capturing, I think, the action really well as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... Um, you know, I feel like everything that I noted in the script is, is very well carried out in the story. I think, you know, they're... You know, in this story, they're both supposed to be sort of retired heroes, so they're they're not, you know wearing the same costumes around all the time like people do in comic books. Um, you know, they're they're dressed like real people. They're going out on a date. So, you know, Misty has, 
you know, both the dress that she brings with her to try on that ends up not, uh, ends up not being the one that works out and the one, you know, Colleen gives her, which, uh, is, is, is notable for the fact that it's, it's cute and also just a little too short because, uh, you know, she's taller than Colleen. Um, you know, that's, that's something that they actually mentioned in the, you know, in the comics that it's going to be a little short, but that's okay because Missy's got great legs. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, Danny is, it's, it's sort of a central, like, clothes is kind of a central concern of the story in that Danny is over at, at Luke's house because he doesn't own a tie. And, uh, you know, he, he, needs, <laughs> he needs to borrow a tie, um, you know, to, to go out on this nice date. Um, and, you know, I, I love that. And possibly the biggest thing to me, that which is something I noted in the script and something that I, I always bugged me when I talk about Misty Knight is that um, you know, in the last scene where they're sort of um, together cuddling, it's, it's after you know after dark. Um, she's she doesn't have her giant metal arm on. She's you know she's wearing Danny's um, shirt, and there's you know they they very specifically not drawn an arm in the sleeve, which was a big thing to me because I I think it's weirdly telling that people don't don't see Misty as being, you know, disabled. They see her as being somebody with a, you know, giant metal arm and they never really touch on that part of her life that she doesn't have an arm, that you wouldn't wear a giant metal prosthetic arm to bed. Yeah, I had no idea that that was the case with her. I That was like the first time I'd been aware of that. Really interesting. Yeah, I mean, depending on the, the book you read, like, uh, a lot of her early appearances, it's just sort of skin-colored, but has, like, a, you know, a, uh, like a screw bolt at the top of it, so that you can tell it's mechanical, but, you know, in a lot of the more recent versions, it's either gold or silver, and, um, that was, that's something that I, you know, would be a, a part of that character's life. I mean, you know, day-to-day life, not having an arm is, um, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it is a big deal. That was the thing that, that really stood out to me in the, the issue. Um, I've been thinking over Cyborg has kind of taken it on and made me think about kind of my own health issues and all that. Um, this one does it, I think, really well as, uh, in that, you know, there's that simple thing of her with the drop and like the strap falling off with on the arm. Um, and it's such a small detail, but it's like one of those small details that has just such like real world impacts and such a huge statement about you know, folks with disabilities and, and how they might, you know, something that we take advantage of just a strap on a dress is totally different for them. Um, and it's something like you're just saying, like completely overlooked for the character or often overlooked for the character um, in a lot of the, the series that she's in. Like I, I wouldn't even think of that for that character. So, I mean, I, I applaud you cause it's such a small detail, but such so important. Thank you, and I, I think I think Misty's. I mean, obviously, I think Misty's an underutilized character. I think, you know, in that, uh, especially in you know this age of comics, there's a lot of sort of that search to to come up with you know new diverse characters and concepts. And I think you know Marvel has had this character who is a um, you know a, a, a black woman with a disability who you know has. She has a, an interesting and complex life that uh, just hasn't quite 
been suitably explored to this point. Um, because even even in the books that are largely about her, if you're talking about Daughters of the Dragon or Fearless Defenders, um, you don't get the kind of examination of you know her life that you do of like Spider-Man or even of you know Iron Fist. Like um, if you've read enough Iron Fist, you know that you know. Um, Danny, Danny's mother was eaten by wolves, saving him from, you know, uh, saving him from the wolves so he could escape to Kinloon, and his dad was a crazy dude that led them up into the, the mountains to try and find this place. And But, like, you, if you read all of the stuff that there is out there about Misty Knight, and I haven't gotten all of it, um, you, you know that Misty's dad was a cop and that he's dead. And that's about all that you know. And that's all sort of offhand stuff from Daughters of the Dragon, just sort of conversationally. Now, did you invent their kid? Uh, so I, I invented Lucy. Um, uh, Danielle Cage is uh, is the you know current ongoing baby daughter of of uh, you know the the other two characters of, of Jess and Luke. Um, but yeah, Lucy. Uh, to this point, has does not existed. That's such a great touch, though, because like Danielle being named for Danny and Lucy being named for Luke, like that's so mm-hmm. I don't know, it's very cute, it's very cute. Yeah, I, but, um, I, I, I think it's it's an almost overwhelming amount of cute as I was <laughs> reading it, <laughs> looking at it. I was like, uh, and you know, when they when they. Uh, Illustrated that I was like, these kids are so cute. Um, yeah. Yeah, running around with their How little uh, Iron Fist and Power Man. Was that the Muffies. Was that the first name that you went with, or was there another one that you, you know, were there others that you kind of came were thinking through? Oh no, she was she was always Lucy. <laughs> yeah. And from the time that character existed, I, I, I was like, well, I've got a name or I. So I was like, well, what what is the female equivalent of Luke? How can she have a girl's name? And uh, I was, at first I was like, well, would it be Luca? No, I, I guess it's probably Lucy. Yeah, that's, so you know, that was all of five seconds. She might have been named Luca. So. <laughs> well, she lives on the second floor, apparently. Um, oh, God, I know. I was like, don't say it, don't say it. Um, <laughs> Do you uh, have you had you had an interest in writing like a romance comic of this nature before? Um, um I mean, I'm I've honestly until recently not really thought about writing romance comics as such, but like I I I don't think that it necessarily has to be a separate thing. I mean, I like um, I think. I mean, uh, Chris Claremont's X-Men is, is probably yes. um, one of the more notable comics for this, but I feel like that's a comic that always had romance and always had interpersonal relationships in it, whether whether it's the romantic ones like Gene Scott and Rogue and Gambit or if it's just the like the deep interpersonal relationships like Wolverine and Nightcrawler that, like, you mm-hmm. you know, you feel for those guys. Like, they, they had the in-between, you know, issues where... You know, people would go out on dates and people would play basketball and things like that. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff that I've always been drawn to. And, you know, I, I don't think that it necessarily has to be 
the uh, the romance part is is pulled out of it. But I think you can have an interesting. I think you could have an interesting story that's just a, a superhero romance, even like an ongoing sort of thing. I mean, Tom Zoller yeah, kind of does that. that was... I'm sorry, who are you saying did that? Uh, Tom Zoller, um, who also writes ponies with me occasionally, has his uh, his series, which is all sort of a, a superhero romantic comedy. What series is that? Um... Uh, no, that I cannot remember Love and Capes, it. Love and Capes, there you go. I was like, it's Capes and something. Right? That's backwards. Yeah. Uh, yes, Love and yeah. Capes. Oh, really, it's a cute series. Okay, cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, Highly, I, you know, if you I haven't read it, it it's that, one I recommend. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Thank you. Um, yeah, I definitely think that one of the things that made Claremont's run so popular and like have such a diverse readership was because it was so soapy. Um, and, and sometimes very relatably so, and sometimes hilariously so, but very soapy. Uh, I, yeah, I would, I would love, like, based on this piece that you wrote, I would love to read an entire comic from you that was like a superhero relationship comic thing. I think that would be wonderful. So. Well, yeah, I, I, would, I would love to do that. I mean, personally, I have pitched and will, I'm sure, pitch again, you know, a, a Misty Knight-centered comic or, you know, um, the, uh, the other characters are, you know, um, peripheral, but where, you know, you have that relationship with her and Danny that's explored. You have the relationship with her and Colleen that's uh, explored. You have sort of the, you know, the relationship between the rest of them and, and Luke and Jess as sort of these, uh, you know, now older, grown up, parenty type people. Mm-hmm. Were there any. Yeah. Um, Thing laid out to you when you're coming up with a story since it's Secret Wars. I mean, for those who don't know what's going on with Secret Wars, basically the Marvel Universe has been kind of like destroyed and reborn in uh, Doctor Doom's image. So really anything is on is possible now. Um, and there's some crazy versions out there of different characters and it's really cool and everything's on the table. Um, was that kind of presented to you and being like, hey, you can do anything you want, like there's no restrictions here? Or was there slight, you know, were you basically given any direction, kind of, or, or notes going into creating it? Um, well, it was, it's interesting, just kind of, you know, what happened is, is that uh, Emily mentioned the, uh, the romance comic angle, and, you know, I, I went immediately for, you know, okay, who are the who are the romances that exist right now that I'd be interested in writing in? And it's, you know, Danny and Misty, Luke and Jessica. I, you know, I was like, um, you know, I'd, I'd love to do like a, um, you know, Wiccan and Hulkling type story in there. Mm-hmm. But um, I had sort of kind of thrown all those ideas out, and uh, and she was like, well, you know, this is so it's going to be part of at this point, you know, Secret Wars had just really started being announced. Um, she's like, you can really do whatever you want. You can you know, put together all sorts of characters that aren't, um, you know, that aren't together in the normal Marvel universe. And, uh, you know, she mentioned the, uh, the example of the, uh, uh, Kamala Khan and Rao B. Reyes story that's in, uh, Secret War, or Secret Love. Um, and I, I sort of played around with it and I had a couple of ideas that we, um, you know, initially talked about, but, uh, I think what we ended up settling on was, um, you know, was this, Missy Knight Iron Fist story because, uh, you know, 
whatever whatever great stuff was in the other stories, this one had sort of that personal touch and the, that uniqueness to it. And it's yeah, there's some people attention too. So, but yeah, that's really interesting to hear. I wasn't sure how much creativity folks are, how much crop launch folks are being given for these pieces. Certainly, like looking at the crowd scene in the um, the Christopher Anka drew in the Squirrel Girl wins a date with Thor book. There definitely seems to be a lot of room for artistic liberties, which uh, I applaud. So. Yeah, I, I think. Um, I think to some extent he, he took advantage of the uh, the Secret Wars uh, setup, and to some extent uh, the fact that uh, that probably in the script just said a crowd scene full of you know people in relationships. So some of the stuff probably uh, probably didn't get a chance to to get vetoed right off of that, but you know they kind of <laughs> kind of slide in there. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I definitely want to make sure we have enough time to talk with you about Raven the Pirate Princess because we've just been raving. Hell yeah. Yeah, to everybody. Um, So this one, you know, people are talking about it as being a spinoff of Princeless, which is your wildly successful um, creator-run comic about a princess who saves herself and goes on to save other princesses and it's just an amazing all ages feminist, racially diverse, diverse representations of gender expression, um, and like, and sweet and funny and exciting and everything good comic. It's been a huge hit. But I'm left where I read issue two. I, I feel like even more than this being a spin off, Raven the Pirate Princess feels like a continuation of like the themes that you're doing that in a way that makes it become more, a little bit more mature. Like it's your audience who began reading the comic, you know, they, they're obviously always getting new people and young people, but the, you know, people are getting a little bit older as well. And this is sort of part of that maturation because I think that this comic will be like more tween, more of a tweens thing. And um, so it's cool to sort of see the story grow and mature along with the audience. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's absolutely what it is. Um, and that, you know, part of, you know, the, the character of Raven I, I sort of invented um, on a whim um, when we needed to do the free comic book day story that we did a few years back. You know, I wanted to have a, a story that uh, was sort of equal parts, easy to access for people who hadn't read any of Princess yet and at the same time would give people a very clear sort of mission statement about what the comic is. And, um, you know, in that I, I wanted this character who was sort of uh, independent and self-reliant and in and of her own, you know, to sort of compliment uh, Adrian and to sort of, um, you know, even be able to one-up Adrian in a way that, you know, most of the characters in Princess can't. Um, and, mm. you know, she kind of grew out of that and... Um, you know, I, I started sort of figuring things out about her as we started writing the, you know, the four-issue Princess story, um, you know, and, and it, it became a, a question of, like, there were things with Princess that, that I wanted to touch on and that I wanted to uh, do things with, and at the same time, I didn't want it to be a thing that ended up restricting the audience in that book, but, you know... Um, the, suddenly the you know the four and five year old girls that I, I have 
come up to my table that are very excited about Princeless. You know, wouldn't be able to read it because you know, there's too much, um, too much real fighting, or, uh, or you know, for that matter, the the fact that uh, that Raven is gay. But I I wanted to make sure that that, that was there. Like I wanted um, one of one of our kind of mission statements with this story was to have a a sort of normalized. Um, gay relationship between you know Raven and, and some of the uh, some of the other uh, female characters in the story um, so that you know whereas Princess is written very much for uh, kids who are, are younger to look up to Adrian um, as you know a 16 year old girl uh, you know part of the thing with with Raven is, is we want girls who are you know a little younger than her or at that age to be able to look and, and sort of identify with that and to, you know, have a, have a character in their, in their fiction and in their fantasy who, um, you know, who has the same wants and needs and desires as them who, you know, they, who isn't, um, who isn't fetishized and, and, um, you know, knocked down to just that sort of, sexuality component but has her own story and her own ends that she wants as well as you know being a you know a gay 17 year old girl yeah yeah i think that you know one of the things that people have been rightfully you know praising lumberjanes for is for being a kid appropriate comic with you know queer female characters and this is yours is i think like the second comic i've seen do that explicitly. Well, I guess and Bravest Warriors, but the fact that there's so few of you guys, you know, it just shows how important this is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I felt Lincoln absolutely was an important thing to, to touch on and do, and a lot of that has come from, you know, my, my presence online on, on Twitter and Tumblr and uh, having people tell me how much, uh, you know, Princess means to them and, and how much they'd like to see this sort of representation or that sort of representation and um, you know wanting wanting to do that um, but at the same time having having a track that Princess is on because that story is going somewhere it's got you mm-hmm. know that number of stories have to get through before we um, go another direction but um, I wanted I wanted it to be able to, to reach out to that and when I I read Plumberjanes with uh, my four-year-old daughter, and when you know we hit that section where it, it becomes sort of explicit rather than being a, um, you know a, a possibility, it becomes explicit that you know, um, Mal and Molly are, are into each other. Um, it it was so nice. It's so great. I, I told you know Noel, it's nice to see you know. Uh, a relationship like that actually um, put in into this sort of crush dynamic that for some reason people think that only straight people have, you know? Uh-huh. Every, everybody has crushes, and, you know, it's just, it's this, it's that simple. It's, you know, two girls who, you know, have, have met and are attracted to each other and kind of have a, a thing, and they're, you know, kind of, Figuring it out like anybody else. 
I think one of the other things that the comic did really well was, and issue two, was introducing Katie, who I'm completely obsessed with now. Um, it, it is, like, nice to have, like, a great big muscular lady in a comic, um, and I love, you know, how you're handling her. A number of people have observed independently that were like, oh, my God, she's, like, well-adjusted Brienne from Game of Thrones. <laughs> um which I think is something a lot of us have been hoping would exist somewhere in the world, and you've made it manifest in a comic book. Not that I think most of the people reading the comic book would know who the hell Brienne of Tarth is, but was that an inspiration for the character at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, nice. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Game of Thrones, and I'm a, I'm a hardcore Brienne fan all the way, but there's, there's so much, like hurt and self-loathing and, and things that are sort of built into that character that, um, you know, I would, I, I want to see, you know, I, I would like to see a depiction of a, of a character like that, that, uh, you know, is like people that I know in real life that, um, you know, has, is happy with who she is, um, who doesn't feel like Brand seems to feel that, like, She's honor bound to do good things, but it's also sort of her lot in life to to be this, you know, big muscular night lady that, you know, if she could have it differently, she very well might. Um, whereas Katie is uh, is does not does not at all see it that way. She sees um, you know, the the opportunity to, you know, go out and fight and do good things as a as an imperative even. Mhm. And she just doesn't have the self. She seems confident in herself. I mean, you know, she's like you know, she 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 seems like somebody who likes herself, rather than using all those things that make her different to say like, oh, she has a hard time with herself. She's like embraces those things. Yeah, and I mean, she says it outright in issue two. You know, where uh, some of the some of the, the gathered pirates try to insult her, and, and she is, you know, she's n- not even affected by it. She she knows who she is. She's happy with who she is. Um, you know, she's just been looking for the opportunity to be able to, to do something better, and, you know, that's sort of what Raven has given her here. So let's talk about that scene, because that's basically everybody's favorite scene in the world. <laughs> um <laughs> Brett, do you want to give the rundown? You're way better at summarizing things than me. Uh, the recruitment scene? Yes, the recruitment scene. Um, so Raven has to put together a team of pirates to go and uh, take on her brothers. That means having to uh, interview a bunch of pirates to help her out. Uh, basically, in I don't know how many pages is it? It's like maybe four or five pages, roughly. Maybe six pages. Um, Jeremy somehow is able to put in so many issues, um, in like this very ongoing, uh, gag it turns into that, uh, he not only takes on the issues, he like slams a whole bunch of issues, um, does it with some great humor and, uh, probably packs more statements into six pages than many comics do in their entire year. It's beyond impressive. Uh-huh. Um, I actually didn't get a chance to. I wanted to actually go through and count how many different issues you tackle in just like that scene, because it's impressive. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was something that I felt like um, I wanted to address, obviously, and then, you know, have in person, online, and uh, all that before, but, like, would be, a, you know, a real, actual, obvious problem in real life if, you know, this were the scenario, um, but would usually be something that people would leave out of a, you know, a fairy tale or, or an adventure story, and that, like, you know, she is, you know, Raven is the captain of the ship. She is going to be running a crew, and literally every uh, man that she talks to to recruit for her crew to work under her uh, decides to talk down to her in one way or another, um, whether it be, you know, to uh, to doubt her qualifications or to uh, sexualize her or to... Um, outright try and um to try and manipulate her uh to just be terrible and skeezy um and yeah it's you know as it was as I started doing it i just it began becoming clear like how many of these things there were so i mean my my original my original sort of concept for this scene was I wanted it to be um the the equivalent of the um, the second scene in Princeless where, um, you know, the the prince comes to rescue her and, you know, calls her a fair maiden and, uh, you know, she, Adrian has to straighten him out as to, you know, what fair means and uh, what exactly it is that he's after. Um, you know, and I, I think, unfortunately, the equivalent of that for, um, you know, a, a number of, of Asian women, um, who you know have to deal with various dude types is that uh, you know they get this sort of terrible exoticizing fetishism and you know, that's something up <laughs> that's the longest of the running gags in that section is that uh, you know there's the there's the guy who knows more about her culture than she does or at least thinks he does and is happy to tell her. Oh yeah, that 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 actually was my favorite dick bag. In the um, in the uh, in the one was the guy who was like, I know so much about your people. I study you all the time. I probably know more than you do. Like he was my favorite asshole of the assholes. I mean, but I said, but I mean, the word. You, you follow me here. Um, yeah, and, and like I really did an amazing rundown of all the horror stories we all face. Like it's just like every single one of them is like a meme waiting to happen. I think that that asshole, along with. The last asshole is a, a very different thing, um, but that asshole is like he's the guy that I have to deal with on a lot of occasions because there's this there's this weird thing uh, with with me being married to a woman of color that like other guys there are other guys who realize that that um, are also dating or married to a woman of color who think it's a club um, who, you know, have this sort of idea of, like, their their girlfriend uh, being part of their collection along with their, you know, rap albums and, um, you know, posters of, of gangster rappers and things like that, that, you know, it's, it's all a thing that, like, we're all just, uh, you know, 
we're all just enjoying being with, you know, a, a woman of color because it's, you know, part of some sort of uh, cultural appropriation that we're all indulging in. And that is, those guys get on my nerves very personally. So uh, the other reading it, um, it felt like that you're taking jabs at a certain um, online movement that has uh, two letters of the same. Uh, especially in the uh, when the guys were like screaming misandry and and all that part. Yeah. Um. So I, was that kind of on your mind that you're kind of uh, taking some slight jabs at uh, a certain uh, anti-women group that have to do with video games? Oh yeah, I <laughs> I despise those guys. I <laughs> have dealt with those guys in various capacities. And the funny thing is, like, I've, I've noticed just, it's become clear to me just what um, giant bags of dicks those guys are um, by just being on social media. Because I'm on Twitter and I'm on Tumblr and I'm on Twitter under my name. It says Jeremy Whitley up there. And very few people bother me about anything that I say on Twitter, regardless of whether I'm talking about, you know, race or specifically gender. Um, there's not a lot of, of blowback, but my my Tumblr just says princelesscomic.tumblr.com. And a lot of um, these particular um, uh, fellows... Uh, assume that I'm female and so for some reason that uh, that gives them a pass to attempt to uh, shut me down and shout me out and uh, harass me in various ways and uh, it's such a clearly cowardly thing because the moment that like, they, they start to realize that like they've engaged another guy they just start to disappear wow Interesting. Yeah, I've seen you kind of getting uh, some backs and back and forth of them, but I, I don't think I ever picked because I'm doing my best to just ignore them at this point. Um, but I don't think I've ever noticed that they actually assume that you're a woman because it says princeless and yeah, what jackasses? Okay, so I wasn't far off, and then it was a complete jabs at me. It was kind of it was amazing. I loved it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and it's you know I. I definitely, I wanted to be very clear about uh, the fact that I was picking on those guys. I, I wanted that to not be a question, which is why at the, the end of that scene, there is the bit with uh, Raven and Sunshine talking where, you know, Raven says that what Raven is musing based on the afternoon that she's had, you know, why do all these guys have to be terrible and horrible and skeezy? And of course, some dude in the line decides to uh, butt in. And, uh, Not all you know, men. Just, yeah, just, just <laughs> everybody's favorite men. hashtag into it. Yeah. Uh, that was such a great uh, scene. I really do feel like it's going to have a life of its own just because each of the panels has done so well to summarize that kind of asshole. You know, I don't want to, like, get your IP all over the Internet in ways that are bad for you. But I, like, if I were, I totally want to make a meme of each one of those panels to, like, 
use when applicable when dealing with dudes who need to have their head put on straight, you know? Yeah, and I, you know, so much of that is, is thanks to, uh, to Rosie and Ted because you know, I have very sort of vague descriptions in, in those uh, sections. Like, um, I, I believe that the, uh, the cultural appropriation guy is just, uh, just labeled as a beardy mustache guy. Um, and they they have a very they have a very clear idea of what that means that they get impressed in the comic and it is just perfect yeah so I, I the story of how you found your artist is a pretty interesting story do you mind talking about that a little bit oh no not at all um yeah it's um it's sort of a, a funny thing in that it it resulted from our original plan I'm for. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting an echo really bad. Is it possible that you might have the podcast open on your computer? Nope. I am not yeah, actually no near my computer. On. Yeah, I don't hear an echo. Oh, my better here. Okay. I'm not. Keep keep on going. Ignore me. Ignore me. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. The um, so how I found Rosie and Ted is, is interesting in that it kind of resulted from. The original plan for Pirate Prince was falling apart. Um, you know, our uh, our first artist had a lot of sort of life things that happened to hit her at the same time, and um, you know, let me know that she wasn't going to be able to continue to work on the project. So um, I sort of went online to say, you know, look, uh, it's it's kind of going to be suspended indefinitely. Um, you know, we'll have to wait until I can get a new artist to work on this, and. Um, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of different folks hit me up uh, to say, you know, oh, I'd, I'd love to work on this uh, project. You know, um, would you be interested in, in having me work on it? Um, the difference with uh, Rosie and Ted was um, when I when I said, yeah, I, I'd like to see some of what you can do. They said, okay, here's our you know, here's our website here, you know, where you can find uh, you know stuff we've worked on. Uh, would you mind sending us some character descriptions, and we'll we'll draw them, and you can see what you think, um, as opposed to saying like, "Yeah, man, get up with me." They they were very proactive, and you know, um, kind of went after that. And when they delivered the um, the actual um, character designs to me, it was you know it was very clear to me. It was um, it was like, all right, this is this is what we're gonna do. Um, so you know, I, I got them on board. And uh, yeah, so we were <laughs> we were Tumblr friends first, and now uh, working on this. And they uh, they I, I can't say enough great things about them. Not only is their art fantastic, but they really work their butts off. Um, you know, they've been putting out this uh, this series. They're already done with the first four. They're you know, hard at work on five right now. Um, and I, I think it's it's really shown. Um, in fact. Today I found out they're doing a uh, a short uh, B side for uh, for Kieran Gillen and, and Jamie McKelvey on uh, on their book. So, yeah, wow, you uh, heard it here first, guys. Super That's exciting. Wow. I, yeah, their work. I have to say, they're my favorite of the artists you guys have, you guys have had so far. I, I love the aesthetic that they're doing, and the characters that they're drawing, and their action sequences are so well executed. Um, and I cannot wait to see their stuff in Phonogram. Um, is this the first place this has been reported? 
they were talking. They mentioned it on uh, online today. I don't know if it was uh, picked up by an official site somewhere, but they. Uh, well, we're going to take credit. Breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> this is great, though. So it's so cool that you're that, that you that you really scout. You scouted them as new talent. That's awesome. Yeah, and I mean they're they're great. I mean both of them are you know fresh out of art school at this point, so they are just as ambitious and, and hardworking of artists as I've ever met. And I think they're really well suited to the book. Like they have a little bit more of a mature look than the um, more cartoon style stuff from Princess. So I think it's really a great fit. Well, yeah, it's it's nice because you know they did the. They did the third volume of Princeless, which, um, you know, they they imitated very much sort of Emily's style, um, you know, and did their own thing with it. And um, when I was talking about doing the ongoing series for Raven, um, you know, and that I wanted it to have a little more of a, a YA vibe, um, you know, they said, well, here's what we want to do. And they, they gave me sort of um, more realistic, uh, looking versions of, of Raven and um, some of the, the characters from the first couple issues, and it's like absolutely, this is this is perfect. We will do this. Um, so yeah, they, I, I think that's uh, the mark of, of all of the, the great artists that I've, I've worked with um, between you know them and, and Mia and Emily and for that matter you know Guru Hero on the, the Marvel uh, book is they all make me look brilliant. Hmm. That's With great. the running two, two princess series right now, um, are you kind of thinking of maybe how they would dovetail in together, or now are they both like pretty separate um, series in your mind? Um, so I'm. There's definitely some consideration in the somewhat distant future of bringing the stories back together. I mean, at this point, um, you know, Adrian's uh, path is is pretty set out ahead of her. Um, you know, uh, Emily is um, working on Volume Five right now. Volume Four is, is uh, you know, issue three that comes out next week, um, and then uh, I am working on six right now. I just finished actually outlining all of it, um, and then you know, Raven has gotten through. Uh, I've got through issue twelve written of that, so she's very much off on her own path and doing her own thing. I mean, after you know, both of their uh, both of their quests are resolved. I you know I, I think there's a very real possibility of, of them coming back together at some point and having a, a crossover. And whether they they meet again as friends or as enemies, I'm not even sure. Cool. I just love the world building that's going on. Like it all sort of fits together really well. It's neat to see like somebody inventing a new you know fleshed out fantasy world for this sort of audience. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's something I love about, you know, great fantasy that I grew up with. And it, I think, I think Princess in its, in its own way is very much about uh, my complicated relationship with J.R.R. Tolkien. And that, like, I grew up on Middle Earth and I love Lord of the Rings and, um, I'm really weirded out by the fact that there are no brown or black people that are not like horribly evil in Lord of the Rings. Yep. 
and that there's this there's this uh, there's this contrast of you know light equaling white equaling good and dark equaling black equaling evil um, that is sort of the central conceit of of the Tolkien world that like does not allow for any sort of diversity beyond height. Yeah, it's terrible. I, I, you know, and like the anti-dork, anti-dork racism, and just all this shit. Like, I don't know if you can just like give that to your kids without explaining to them why it's problematic. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I love it. Building an alternate for folks to engage in and like have that be a starting place for them when they're young. You know? Yeah, and that that world is so fully developed and so interesting. Um, you know, and, and I, I love that world still. Um, but you know, I, I wanted to create something that uh, creeps me out less. <laughs> and you know, luckily, like in the in the intervening years, you know, uh, companies like BioWare and uh, you know, with the Ghost and Dungeons the Dragons to some extent, have have diversified things quite a bit and uh, made fantasy a little less creepy, but still, uh, in a lot of cases, the characters of color are often not central. Hmm. Of the world, like, how do you actually uh, map? I was going to say, like, how much of that world do you have actually mapped out? Because um, I, I think that's it's interesting in that um, you you kind of touched on so many different aspects uh, just in the two series in a short time, like, uh, you know, you've got Raven and her series having a much more of like an Asian vibe to it. Uh, and then in, uh, the main princess, the, the knights that are running down there are all very distinct, um, in their own look and how I would imagine what their kingdoms are. So I would, I would think that there's like a, a pretty big world that you're, you're dealing with here. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, to, to some extent, the, Initial layout of of um, you know of Adrian's world is is very much a, a reflection of you know like games like Final Fantasy where there's the or or like Legend of Zelda for that matter where there's the desert world and then there's the swamp world and then there's the forest and there's oh mountains. that makes so, yeah, I mean, each each character, each of the sisters is is locked up in a sort of geographic region of the uh, of the kingdom. Um, so, you know, in this current volume, they're in the swamp, and the next one is going to be in the mountains. Um, so, you know, the next volume, we're going to get to see uh, more uh, more stuff about dwarves and dragons and um, you know those those sorts of. Uh, parts of the fantasy world, whereas, you know, the swamp is, is very full of um, monsters and goblins and uh, zombies and vampires and all sorts of sort of horror conceits. Mm-hmm. Hello? I'm still here. Okay, sorry, I thought it cut off for a second. Yeah, I don't think we'd really had as much exposure to some of those like cultures and parts of the world yet. And it's cool to hear that we'll be getting them coming up. Yeah. It's, um, I, I'm really looking forward both to, um, you know, the, the next, um, the next volume and that, uh, 
you know, we get to we get to see dwarves who have a, a pretty distinctive. Um, there, there's pretty distinctive things about the dwarves that people will see once once we get there, um, which I'm I'm pretty excited about being part of the prince list. Um, and then you know the the series after that is going to be set in the desert, and there's going to be a, a lot more of the uh, the sort of desert cultures that are are hinted at in with, you know, sort of a, a more um, Middle Eastern vibe. Um, and I'm excited to, to show some of what we've got planned for it. Well. Cool. <coughs> so the, the very... Oh, sp- the, I mean, ahead, sorry. oh, no. go If you had something, go ahead. I can no, hold off ahead, my question. I was say, I so, I mean, Princess Prince has been around for a few years now. Um, are you noticing as you're going to cons that um, you're getting some of the same kids coming back uh, again and again, but they're maybe a little bit older and following the series and all? Yeah, um, you know, it's it's interesting because this next year, um, 2016, will mark our five-year anniversary um, with, you know, since the, the release of the first volume. Um, and it's it's interesting um, you know, doing some of the, the cons that I do, I, I get up and down the East Coast quite a bit, and um, you know, I, I see some of the the same faces in DC every time I, I go up there, um, and you know, people that are are looking for the series, and that's still that's still new to me is um, you know, having people that that come to the table looking for it and are excited about it as compared to having sort of skeptical people that are standing at a bit of a distance and trying to figure out what it's about. Um, you know, and that's, that's so cool um, to have that, you know, both with pencils and with the, the My Little Pony stuff that I've, I've written, um, to have people who are so excited and engaged to talk about it and you know, have, have read all of the stuff and have questions for me and want to know things. And it, it's... Uh, it's still sort of surreal, and to have that in in both kids and and in um, older girls and women. Um, but I, I have a lot of people that uh, tell me that Princess was their first comic, um, mm. or that you know they had never they had never had any experience with comics until they read Princess. And you know, in, in some cases, I've, I had one woman in, in DC just this last year. You know, it's like I bought the first volume of Princess from you last year at this convention. I now have, you know, a a pull box at my comic shop, and I'm getting like 15 different comics, um, some of which you've recommended to me online. And that was like that's awesome. Like I I I've told you know people before that like uh, while you know Princess doesn't make me the sort of money on a you know day-to-day basis that you know, getting a regular paycheck from Marvel or DC would that it it comes very much with its own reward that like I I am incredibly grateful for and I think um, you know I, I've seen some other creators uh, that, that seem sort of envious of that that you know they um, they they want to have people that are are as excited about things as as uh, some of the, the fans I'm lucky to have are. 
Do you think yeah, that I mean, Michelle so Beverly is having a role in expanding comics fandom, like to, you know, reach these new people? And how has your book gone to find its own audience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I mean, it's, I, I, I've told people this a, a few times. The, uh, so the, the first issue of Printlist, when we first solicited it in Diamond, the first issue sold 700 copies. Um, the second issue sold less than 500. Um, and it was quickly looking like something that we would not be able to make money at. Um, that we would not be able to sustain because it wouldn't be able to pay for itself. Um, and it, I mean, to go back to that, um, you know, now, uh, you know, right now, uh, if you, if you look on Amazon, uh, both volumes two and, and three are either sold out or almost sold out. Um, we did a reprint of volume one in March, um, and yeah, actually, that convinced me that, that we needed to print 10,000 copies, which I thought was ridiculous at the time. Um, and since March, we are down to about 3,000 copies left. So, yeah, like the, the difference there, and, you know, I, I don't, I, it's, it's amazing to me, and I'm, I'm, you know, extremely grateful for it. You know, people have, have gone out and found it, and that, you know, there have been, uh, Valkyries and librarians and you know other folks that work at comic shops and bookstores that have have pulled it off the shelf and given it to people um, and you know gotten out there and sort of proselytized for it is is amazing to me and I, I couldn't be more grateful for that um, you know I think uh, I I don't know that uh, the still be coming out if it weren't for you know uh, people actually physically putting it in people's hands um, and telling them that they have to read it. Um, because that, uh, you know, just from a press level, you know, what we were selling at the beginning was not sustainable. Um, so, yeah, it's incredible to see that sort of audience grow up and grow around, you know, not just this comic, but around other comics that share similar missions, be they... Um, you know, other other kids-focused comics like Lumberjanes or whether they be, uh, you know, aimed at a more mature audience that isn't the traditional comic book audience like uh, Fish Planet or Rat Queen. Um, and to see, like, that the, those of us that, you know, it seems really like four or five years ago were kind of struggling and were telling people, like, that there is this audience, that this can work, um, that those uh, so many of those those people who were there have you know paid dividends. Um, <laughs> you know the fact that uh, I was telling somebody I, I do Heroes Con every year and I met Kelly Sue there two or three years ago. It was right before Captain Marvel and Hawkeye started up, and I was sitting and talking to Kelly Sue and Matt for like an hour. I just stood in front of the table and just talked to them. A couple of people came up and stuff signed, and that was it. Um, and now, like, you can't get to their table. Like, I was two tables away from them, and I barely got to say hi because they were so slammed with uh, 
excited new comic book readers for you know the whole time they were there. Mm-hmm. I, I think witnessing that growth from sort of inside is, is really amazing and, and um, really vindicating in a lot of ways as well. That actually goes with one of the questions I want to ask. I mean, the in the five years that you've been doing Princeless, like really the the industry has shifted to doing more of what you're doing. Um, I mean, the the perfect example is like one of the latest amount, announcements with the Moon Girl and uh, Devil Tour that Marvel announced. I'm like, this is Princeless done by Marvel. It looks like. Um, I mean, it's been a hell of a shift just in that five years, um, like industry wide. I mean, it, it's it's got to be something to feel like you know uh, that you feel like uh, basically you're kind of one of the uh, groundbreakers and proving that this you know there was an audience or there is an audience and and people want this. Uh, yeah, I, to some extent, I I feel that way. I think um, you know. I owe a lot of dues to, um, you know, people who were sort of in the trenches doing this stuff even before I was, people like Gail Simone, who, you know, I think one of the first, one of the first comics I was ever invited to, or comic cons I was ever invited to when I went to Denver Comic Con the first year it was open, like, but, um, you know, Gail actually tracked me down and, and, said nice things to me about what we were doing with Craigslist and, um, you know, was, was very supportive. I think, you know, people like her were, were doing this and trying to write these comics when, like, there was no reception from editorial at these companies that, you know, that this is a possibility that, you know, um, she stuck in there and sort of set that example and, that, you know, people like I myself have been able to, to follow it and really um, create these unique and diverse things and um, that comics has uh, has adjusted to it that they've um, you know come to us in a lot of cases that they've they're starting to catch up you know socially and, and creatively to you know what what people were doing um, you know, and almost selling nothing at, you know, uh, five or six years ago, or even before that. But, yeah, it's, it's sort of incredible to see that change and to, you know, hopefully uh, have been part of what's, you know, influenced comics in that direction. Nice. Um, I mean, you've got your hands full, obviously, with the, the two Princess series, My Little Pony, um, is there other stuff that projects that you're working on that we might not know of that you can talk about or um, other things that are coming up that you can't talk about? Um, well, there, there's definitely a lot of things in the works that I can't talk about. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, hopefully those are, are things that will eventually come to the surface and people will get to see and then we can talk about. Um, but it, it's always hard to tell at this point. Um, but, uh, yeah, certainly we've got the, the two Princeless series uh, coming out um, on a fairly regular basis at this point. Um, I've got a four-issue story in, in My Little Pony starting up uh, in September, um, and it's going to be epic. 
um, because I just kept pitching epic storylines until uh, they finally accepted one. And then when I wrote it, I kept making it darker and darker and darker. And Hasbro didn't stop me. Um, so, so we've we've ended up with a really, uh, what to me is a really exciting epic and and at times kind of dark um, storyline. Um, you know, in which I think is a lot of what I like in kid stuff when you can have that that sense of, of darkness and, and the scary mixed with the um, mixed with the fun story. Um, you know, things like what Jim Henson used to do is, is kind of what I'd like to see more of. Um, you know, things like the, the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and things like that is yeah, I think we've sort of lost that kid's entertainment to some extent. Um, but that's that's kind of what we're going for there. Um, I also have a, a Friends Forever story in, in My Little Pony that's coming out next month with uh, Brenda Hickey, who is an outstanding artist. Um, we, we're doing a, uh, a story about Luna and Discord in which uh, they have to go into Discord streams to find out why he's sleepwalking. So it's all most of it is set in this sort of crazy dream landscape, and she is turned it into the most beautiful and amazing looking thing um, that I, more than I could have hoped for. Um, beyond that, um, yeah, I've got a couple of, of pitches I'm working on. Um, Illegal, obviously, uh, is still in the works as far as uh, you know, the digital copies have all gotten out. Um, I'm still working on getting the, the physical rewards out because the unfortunate thing I learned about Kickstarter is that everything is more expensive and takes longer than you initially planned on it. I'm <laughs> doing, mm. um, and uh, so you know we're we're working on that. That's going to get out hopefully soon if I can get a break from conventions long enough. Um, and then uh, I don't think that I have officially said this anywhere yet, um, but we are working on a uh, anniversary anthology for Princeless um, for next year. Um, which uh, we're putting together to uh, to benefit um, the uh, benefit girls leadership and uh, girls rock NC, um, and it's going to be a, an all charity anthology. And we've had some fantastic people uh, that have have volunteered to be part of this, um, and I'm I'm really excited to be able to uh, tell people more about that. But it's going to be a lot of uh, you know I think my and other people's favorite writers and artists uh, working in sort of the princeless world and, and creating, um, you know, some original stories within that uh, that world that I've I've built with you know, with my artists. That's fantastic. So this is going to be an anthology where different artists and writers are going to have stories taking place in the princeless world. Yeah, so it's it's going to be um, I think mostly, if not exclusively, set in the princeless world. Um, but yeah, we're we're gonna have some uh, some other writers and uh, artists in to work with us. Um, I I don't know all of the teams and who all is going to be uh, there right now, but I do know, um, for instance, uh, one of the one of the ones I'm really excited about is that uh, Rosie and Ted are working with uh, with Kelly Sudeconic to put together a story, and um, that. Uh, Emily Martin is, is going to be working with uh, with Gail Simone to put together a story there, and uh, we've, wow. we've got a lot more to get to get out. So. 
So what was the yes, two cherries? The cherries was story and princeless. That's yeah, yeah. Gail was wow. So Gail was one of the first people that I asked. Gail and Kelly Sue, and both of them you know, emphatically said yes. And you know, I've had some other people that were very excited about it, and unfortunately couldn't couldn't quite work it into their schedules. But um, yeah, both of them were you know yes from from day one, and uh, yeah, it's it's been something we've been working on for a while, and it was supposed to was supposed to come together earlier. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> the first attempt of it fell apart a little bit. Um, but yeah, we're we're planning on having that out next year for the five-year anniversary, and uh, we're going to have a lot of really interesting original principal stories, I think. Oh my gosh, I'm going to tweet this right now, and everybody will be like jaw on the floor. <laughs> what were the two charities? You said Girls Leadership and Girls Rock uh, NC? Yeah. Um, so yeah, girls leadership, um, which you know, if people have followed Kelly Sue, they'll they'll be familiar with because uh, all of their all their stuff that they did through um, selling the Hawkeye and Captain Marvel T-shirts all went to girls leadership. And then uh, also, you know, locally here, um, I'm working with um, Girls Rock NC, which is a uh, a rock camp for girls, which uh, is focused around you know developing. Uh, leadership and social skills and life skills, um, both you know from a uh, from a musical and rock perspective, but also you know, creating original clothes and looks and you know, just enhancing self-esteem. Wow, I love that's them. really cool. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, they're really is it just they're really cool organizations, and I'm really hoping we can put together something that'll you know be able to give a lot to them. Um, and hopefully, you know, make make things better for girls. <laughs> and you know, at the same time, it's going to be able to help us put together a, a roster of people that uh, you know would otherwise be be too large and too uh, extravagant to uh, try and fit into a normal book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how many people are you looking to? Like, how big is it going to be? Are we talking like dice comic or more like graphic novel level or? Um, um, is that kind of still probably something? Probably going to be something in the you know uh, small to to medium graphic novel range by the time we're done with it. Um, everybody is uh, the plan is for everybody to do five to ten page stories, um, and we've we've got some some really interesting folks that are, are going to come on. Not all of whom are from you know the the world of comics. A couple of whom are um, going to be you know, working on comic stuff for their first time. Um, but, you know, most of which are, are folks that either I've worked with or I've wanted to work with um, or have just been amazingly impressed with over, you know, the, the time I've been in comics. That's pretty awesome. That's really, really cool. Um, do you have yeah. a goal as to when it's hitting out? It's kind of a sometime next year. Yeah, probably uh, probably mid to late next year. But, you know, every a lot of the people involved have a a lot of deadlines and a lot of projects. So I want to make sure that I, I give everybody um, you know the the proper amount of time to get things done. Um, you know, without having to, uh, to fight off the the work that they already have. Because obviously, both the people I've mentioned are are quite busy on a regular basis. So adding an extra you know five to ten pages to their 
their normal stuff is is pretty. Uh, I mean, it's pretty generous of them to begin with. Nice. Wow. Really, that's awesome. I cannot wait to buy this. Great charity, great partners. I love the idea of having these really amazing writers inhabiting the world that you've created. I I, I just I just can't be more excited about this. This is amazing. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's a bit of a. I mean, it's. I, I want to do a couple things, and I, I'm hoping that, um, you know, it can accomplish some of these things. And that I've, I'm putting together a, a team of, of creators who are both, you know, sort of well known and uh, not particularly well known, half of whom um, this will be, you know, their first, um, you know, actual physical published comic that people can order through Diamond or Young Comicsology and things like that. And, um, you know, putting all this together and sort of uh, with, I mean, with the team itself as well, I, I want to kind of prove a point in that, you know, there are so many, there's so many of the, the larger companies that have difficulty, sort of in quotation marks, finding a, a diverse <laughs> roster of people who can, who can do comics, who can write and draw comics, and they're there. And I, I want to sort of prove that they're there, and, and you know, have even with our even with our little company, with our little budget and everything, that we can put together, you know, some really amazing people that they're just not looking at. That is just gold. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, the, the the kind of the first thing I thought of. I mean, the kind of the in between volumes of Princeless you had a pseudo anthology going on. Are you going to think about doing that again too on top of this? Um, so we're going to see a little bit of that, um, in between this volume and the next volume. Um, and the, the, uh, the anthology type style of, of those series was not, not working as well for us. And that, um, it's it hard for people to kind of figure out where those, fit in the in the larger um princeless canon so you know, people don't don't really know what to make of some of the short stories so what we wanted to do is take um take a couple of longer stories um you know with a, a couple of artists and you know do basically kind of one shots that will um go between volumes so um you know what you'll see with the the next volume um is that there's going to be a there's going to be a zero issue before volume five, which is a, sort of a one-shot story that sort of leads into volume five, um, and hopefully there will be uh, the more after volume five as well, where we're working on putting together a, another story or two that uh, hopefully will be will be ready to go by the time uh, volume five wraps. Well, it sounds like you are fairly busy between now and well. Uh, <laughs> uh, are you going to be? At, yeah. <laughs> uh, so before we got on, you said that you're uh, figuring out your New York Comic Con plans. Are you going to be at SPX as well? Uh, yeah. So I am. So the, the next place I'm going to be is, uh, is Dragon Con. Um, the right at the beginning of uh, September, and then. Uh, I am also supposed to be in uh, in South Carolina for uh, Comic on the week after that, um, and then I am doing um, 
SPX uh, right after that. Um, and then I think I have exactly one week break before uh, turning around and, and going to New York. So it's going to be maybe a busy fall. Wow. We're looking forward to seeing you at those places, especially at NYCC. One question I wanted to ask, actually. So we never want to talk to parents about getting comics for their kids. They they are kind of often intimidated at by getting floppies, you know, not just that kids will mush them up, as kids may, but just like they, have, they don't really know where to begin. So I was wondering if you found that just, you know, trade paperback seems like the way to go for, you know, your your kids-oriented titles or if digital may be, you know, better for you guys or like what is, well, how come you guys are still doing monthly floppies, I guess is one of my questions. Um, well, it's... um. It's a combination of things, and that um, what we what we do is that you know I think the, the single issues coming out is still uh, it's still very effective you know one digitally, um, but two as a, a method of, of continuing the story. There are some people that um, you know still want to show up every month for the uh, the big story, and um, you know we continue uh, I continue to have you know, plenty of stores and plenty of, of readers that buy things in, in single issues. But I, I think we have found that um, trades are much more, um, they move much faster for us. Um, and I think in part that's due to, you know, the floppies working as sort of advertising for the trade that people already know what the story is before the, the trade becomes available. Um, and, you know, they know that they're interested because people have been talking about it. Um, and to, to some extent, it's also just that... Um, yeah, those those trees get out into the library market and the bookstore market, which um, you know have a much larger existing audience of, of people who are interested in all ages products. Um, which you know obviously that's that's growing in the direct market in comics, but there's still a lot of comic stores that are, are resistant to it or are downright hostile to it in some cases. Um, that you know, I think uh, the the book market ends up being where the most stuff is sold, um, but I, I think both both things are, are still useful. Um, and that I, I, what we what we tend to do as sort of a, uh, a cost saving measure is um, we just we overprint a lot of our interior stuff um, for the for the single issues, and we have that stuff ready for the trade. So we'll you know bind up the trades. We've got that stuff ready to go and. Um, you know, if if you look at the actual lab business plan, like we get trades out the month after stories are over, so and we don't we don't sit on a lot of our stuff the way that uh, you know, some of the, the some of the bigger companies are still doing with a lot of their you know, larger titles. Is that normal to do overprint and use the overprint for trades? Uh, not as far as I know. Um, it's you know it, it's, it's something that uh, we sort of put together um, when you know we were trying to figure out how to to make um, printing work because yeah, any, anybody who has the initial like uh, first issue of Princeless that, that came out uh, you know four and a half years ago now um, you can see that like the printing quality and then it's terrible um, you know all of the the colors are off and um, some of the margins are off and it's it's because when uh, when action started out we were 
we were printing off of our own printer, um, you know, in an office. Like uh, we were printing off of a, a printer that was not designed to print comics, um, which is why you know so many of those those early issues look rough um, because we were doing all of that in house. Um, but you know the the way that we figured out to kind of make the you know printing through a, a large press um, work was to you know to be able to kind of overprint the initial stuff and um, you know we've then we've got it if there are reorders you know we can go ahead and um, you know fill those and if we have extras you know we can integrate those into you know what will eventually become the trades. Huh. Cool. Learn something you. new every day. I I would have not thought of that. It's actually really genius. Um, smart way of going about it. Uh, well, we've ha- we've had you on for quite a while, um, and our time's kind of coming to a close, anyways. Uh, so, for people who are listening uh, to the show, how can they find you online? Um, here's your chance to to plug your various social networks and uh, how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, at jrome58, so J R O M E five eight, um, and then I'm on Tumblr at uh, princelesscomic.tumblr.com. Um, I have a Facebook page for Princess, but I don't really use it. Um, and then uh, I I am in the process of of putting together or of filling in a. Amazing web page that uh, my my friend Charlie Harper, who uh, runs a company called Woosh Data, has put together for me. Um, that is uh, going to be it is it is already at um, JeremyWhitley.com, um, and there there are some nice uh, previews of some of my books and stuff there, but not a terrible lot of content. Um, but if people want to you know email me or anything, all the it has a contact form and everything like that. So. JeremyWhitley.com. Cool. Well, appreciate you coming on. Um, we'll definitely have to have you back for it might be a record-setting um, when Illegal finally hits out because you know we didn't really get a t- chance to uh, talk on that, and uh, I know we would probably love to go deeper and have a much more uh, uh, in-depth con- uh, conversation about it when it. Uh, it- hit some people can get it so um oh darn we'll have to have you back again <laughs> i'll be i'll be glad to come back again so appreciate it thank you Great. so much for joining us thank you uh, my pleasure thanks all right wow we've learned a hell of a lot and we broke some news on episode yeah which is freaking awesome. a lot of news <laughs> Uh, well, we haven't talked in generally what our thoughts of the rest of the Secret Love, Secret War, Secret Love uh, issue was. So, um, what did you think of the the comic as a whole, beyond Jeremy's uh, contribution to it? So, I really enjoyed it. Um, Jeremy's is the best piece in it. I, it's the most sort of, I guess, meaningful one. Is 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 how I would put it. Um, but the mm-hmm. whole thing is just really great. I. I I love the um, the uh, Super Squirrel Girl wins a date with Thor by Marguerite Bennett and Chris Anka piece. It is such mm-hmm. a beautiful little like it's like the most fan service-y fan service ever fan service. It's how I describe it. Um, it's it's the comic that fans deserve, and um, 
like just it's adorable and hilarious and I think the fact that like you know it's just this is the thing I was trying I was saying earlier when we were on when we first started talking about this on the show which is there is so obviously a huge audience for people to read superhero romance comics mm-hmm. huge and it's bizarre to me that like and it's like yes like we like comics in which these are themes that um, are part of the story like it is an X-Men but like for that Marvel hasn't just done its own thing like this is NBC too. They both have stables of characters for whom people want those stories. It's a huge oversight. They're like leaving piles of money on the table. Well, the, the success of Rosie Press is, is evidence enough that romance comics are uh, wanted by individuals. I mean, shit, for a while, romance comics were one of the top selling genres, if not, I think the top selling genre for comics out there. Uh, back in the day, so yep. you know, there's a long history of them. True. But you know, the thing is, like, uh, so, like intellectually and as a cultural, as like a cultural phenomena, I like really support Rosie Press, and I think it's such an important thing to do. And it's expanding the comics audience, and it's won by women, and it's just ridiculously feminist and awesome. But I'm, I personally, like, I, I haven't been like. Oh, you know what I don't. What I, you know what what I really need is a romance comic. It's just it's not a genre that I felt. I don't watch romance movies. It's not a genre that I felt particularly drawn to myself. But like mm-hmm. seeing it play out with like the characters that you care about is um, that you care about already. You know and that you have this like you have this big legacy behind them and everything. It's um, I don't know. It's just a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm kind of a sucker for romance films and and what most people would call chick flicks. Um, Interesting. I, just weird. Like, I, yeah, it's really bizarre. I, we kind of joke between me and my wife that I am such the woman in the relationship in so many ways, uh-huh. like stereotypes. Like, like, I am that person. <laughs> oh, really? No, my dad is the one. My dad is a member of my family who really likes those, like like sensitive women romance like European movies like you know that I, I don't I just I can't I just can't so yeah it doesn't it's, it's, I, I, I can't do that a lot on those things. you know what I'm talking I, about I can't yeah. do that I'm, I'm all about the, oh yeah I'm all about the rom-com so give me a rom-com gotcha. day I will watch that yeah I don't know why um, but yeah I mean there's like a huge there's a huge I mean well, the other great example is like if you look at books you know, romance novels are massive. Like, let's let's be honest uh-huh. uh, with, uh, you know, of what was driving sales for quite a while. And I think it's still a huge segment. Like, I, I know YA has kind of blown up, um, so I don't know quite where things are now. But, you know, for a while, it felt like romance novels were what was kind of, like, keeping the book industry afloat. There was so much of it. Um, uh-huh. And then the... Uh, um, why that genre isn't in uh, comics is like a little bizarre for me. Like you'd think that this is kind of a given and someone would be tackling it. I, I will make the prediction now that someone is going to dive into it and, uh, and go with it and do something really cool. It might be a series first. But I can see the bigger publishers doing something rel- relatively soon. I think, I think, out of the two, my guess would be DC would do it. Because um, they're having a more just... phase right now. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, that's I really why. Um, I artists for it, unlike the artists that they chose for the for the um, Hulkling. God, I can't deal with that superhero name. It's the worst superhero name of all time. Um, uh, series, like you know, it's just like a oh, we're gonna do this comic that's gonna appeal to you know, like young gay guys, and it's like, have you seen the art? No, this is not right for the audience. <laughs> like, pay attention to who your readers are. Um, so that would be my, you know, my warning to the publishers, like, pay attention to who, to what artists you choose for this, because people care a lot about that. Here we go. So, how style is not going to cut it, you know? Well, I hear I'll do my pitch right now. So, um, I don't know if you read the, the, uh, by the numbers that gets uh, posted on our site from Glenn and um, but they go through and they talk about how sales mm-hmm. are going on every single month and yeah, they well, have for the last it's couple a great function on our website everybody should go and visit yes it is yes graphicpolicy.com you can check uh, about the numbers it will be in the spotlight section or the featured section or in the featured uh, drop down you'll be able to click on it uh, so they've been like just beating DC's Teen Titans consistently for like the last two or three uh, posts um of just being like how poorly it's being handled right now i'm gonna call it i think dc will do a teen titans romance comic yes like it always was <laughs> <laughs> i mean back in the day you know i i'm I, i'm making jokes about dick grayson and starfire drama that's that's the joke that I'm telling right now. You you can all laugh. Um, yeah, that would be fucking amazing. Uh, Cyborg and... Wild that IP, you know? How about uh, Cyborg and uh, Beast Boy? Yeah, exactly. Like, that would be so yeah. wonderful. And get, like, an artist on it who can draw people in those sort of, like, you know, in a style that's going to appeal to people who are not just, I don't know, to anybody with freaking taste. You know, there's so many good artists right now who are starting to get, um, oh, Marguerite Savage, she the one who did the art for Bombshell? She would be amazing on that. Oh, yeah. I was actually thinking you'd do more of the style of of Jeremy's artists on his uh, his, uh, contribution to Secret Love. Oh, the artist from that being uh, a hero? Yeah, that guy's good too. Yeah, totally. That would work. Christopher Anka Like as a digital series? I think it would. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, you do it as like um, a, a, a over the top. I don't even know if you could do it, if you need to do it over the top. But you're going to have like a fun romance, soapy superhero comic full featuring the Teen Titans. Yes. Like it was always meant to be. I think it's important. To bring that back, but um, but yeah, yeah. I, I guess from your mouth to uh, God, who's the editor in chief right now? Well, I think we'll just hit up. We'll, we'll just harass the the PR team. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, the PR absolutely. team who's listening to us. <laughs> hey. Now, next time when they said, "Hey, can, can we have someone on your show?" My response will be like, "Only if you give us a romance Teen Titans comic." This is the deal. <laughs> which, will, which will be, which is going to be like printing money, like that. Uh huh. That is going to be like printing money. So you're welcome, DC. You're welcome. 
I'm willing to write it for free, even though I don't think I could actually write that genre, but I'm at least willing to come up with ideas. So your costs are down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so, yeah. And the, any other thoughts about the comic? <laughs> um, on that, so the, actually the thing that I really liked, um, one, it's, it's awesome to see Jeremy kind of do his, his Marvel debut. I think it's his, I'm positive. I'm, yeah, pretty sure it's his debut. Yep. Like 99.99%. Um, for Marvel. The other one was Michael Fife, who I don't think has done Marvel either. Um, his series that I've loved and been reading is called Copra. Um, very small press, kind of hard to get a hold of. Like we're talking 500 copies an issue. Um, it's wow. best to get it off his, uh, his Etsy store. Um, like it's basically Suicide Squad off the rails. Um, just really over stuff. Yeah, you would love it. And and actually, the other Bergen Street is the ones. On yeah. <laughs> yeah, Bergen Street is the ones that do the publishing for the trades, so uh, you should be able to get it there. But there's two trades out, and it's up to like issue twenty three. I think just came out this past week. Um, but seeing him do Daredevil makes me want to see him tackle like the Avengers in an off the rail type series. Um, would be awesome. Like his his styles. Like you're either gonna love it, you're gonna hate it. But like the storytelling and just the way he does it. Like I I'm in the love department. Um, but yeah, to see him do that was I think really really cool. Uh, that was another one I dug. Uh, but overall, like out of all the series, like this one I had fun with. I had a lot of fun and I just enjoyed it all. And it was great humor and at the same time. Um, like Jeremy's story just nailed it as far as on so many different levels. Uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. Like, it, hopefully, we can see more stuff like this in the future. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed Fife's story as well. I mean, I you know, the whole Matt Matt can't get a break, and he always has to have like drama and sad and like it was it was I, I was almost like oh he gets kind of like it's not really happy ending because the world's still ending, but his girlfriend and him are still together. That's yeah. something for you, Matt. Um, and like Karen Page saving Matt is like, that's awesome. So yeah. I mean, if, it, if you, if you liked that style, if you like that story, you'll probably like Copra. Cause that's very much, that's his art style. It is how he draws stuff. It's kind of his storytelling. Um, like great indie comic. Can't, can't praise it enough. Um, really actually one of my favorites out there right now. But uh, oh, cool. yeah, basically, if you it, dig it, you. yeah, if, if you dig that, you'll you'll dig that, uh, dig Cobra, and start with definitely start with the first trade. Um, but yeah, like overall, I absolutely loved it, and as a whole, like I think we've we've talked about it. Secret Wars is uh, um, the uh, and aw, Jeremy just said he could talk to us about comics all night. Uh, <laughs> we'll do that for charity. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, but it's, a, it's like a testing ground for new stories and new genres and new, you know, it's like a throw things at a wall to see what sticks and it should create new ideas and it should create new combinations and mashups, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that, that was, I mean, that's what kind of we had to, we talked about it in um, like DC skip month and even convergence uh, a little bit is like, there's, there's such an opportunity for like these, these events to try new things. Cause it's an event. Like no one has super high expectations. So for the offshoot books, so it gives you a chance to try something new and, and Marvel with 
this book is doing a lot of the stuff like all the other uh, a lot of the other series was new. this was new it's unique um yeah yeah like bravo on them for doing it and it's definitely like yeah you know praise it it's one of those like it, it's great like you enough said solid blah 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 um uh i'm trying to think uh, anything else to discuss at all no i think that's it all right um uh, well we've got a guest next week uh would you like to introduce this person wow yes actually alex the is joining us next week really excited about that um i uh a friend of mine is a big comics geek has called has told me he she is his favorite person in comics um i would uh that that would be one suman saha and uh i first encountered her when she was speaking at um uh i was speaking at first edition and she was on a panel for image and like literally everything she said i wanted to like raise my hand in jubilation and say, yes, that, that, that exact thing. Um, and uh, she, she was just so right on and smart and sharp. And after that, I began reading her comic Grindhouse and No Mercy, which are two really interesting comics doing things that I don't think any other comic is doing. A um, lot of fun, dark, twisted fun and thought-provoking as well. And you should check them out and you should check her out. Yeah, so you can uh, listen to that with her next week um, on our normal channel on that time. Uh, it'll be 10 p.m. Sunday night. First, have the uh, the episode posted up so you can uh, uh, get reminded and sign things up. Um, thanks for listening in. Uh, it's been a little weird week. We had some technical issues on Monday, but it was awesome that Jeremy uh, joined us and uh, was able to switch the dates for, you know, Probably even a better day, considering everything kind of yeah. came out and we got cool news as far as sellouts. Um, with that, you can find us every single day at graphicpolicy.com. You can, of course, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. Nice and consistent. Uh, until next time, I'm Brett. And I'm Ilana. Keep